The Broken Meeple, Season 3, Episode 9, recorded on the 12th of August, 2019. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. It's recording during post-convention fatigue time. Yes, I talk about my experiences at HandyCon, including the games that I have played, some good, some bad, and also talk about a topic that's been on Facebook in recent months. Have apps kind of destroyed tabletop gaming? Hello and welcome to another episode. Yes, it's been about a month since the last one, so, you know, still keeping in sort of time, but... uh, it's been a pretty busy July with getting the Tap 100 off and running, as you know some of you will have seen on YouTube lately. But also, it's kind of a heavy content- convention season during August time. I've just returned from HandyCon 6 from like Paul Harris and Dan and his crew, and I've got Tabletop Scotland to go to for the first time in two weeks. Never been... No idea what to expect, all I know is that it's had good buzz, I'm getting somebody put me up for the night, thank you very much, and also, I've been invited, I'm going to find out, all I've got to do is fly to Scotland, you know, not too difficult I guess, certainly not driving it, but I'm looking forward to that one in two weeks, so I'll probably do the next podcast shortly after that, you know, we'll give it a bit shorter break this time. Because I want to go over another topic on that podcast as well, I want to talk about, uh, you know, whether it's common for people like us to get jaded with board games. So I'll do a double episode at that point. But on tonight's show, I'm talking about two things in particular. Firstly, I just want to go over a little bit about HandyCon, what it was like, how I felt, and some of the games I played. They can be my uh, first impressions for today. And also, the topic later on is kind of um, a debate where... You know, we play apps and you know board games, and they're really good. There's some really good ones out there. Have they ever destroyed your desire to play the tabletop version, though? Are apps becoming a bit too good? You know, is board games on the way out in favor of certain apps? Or does it really not matter because you do have the aspects of board gaming that we love? I'll get more into detail later. So firstly, HandyCon 6. Paul Harris and Dan and his crew, you know, all the orange people effectively, you know, like they're straight out of asking for troubles, the board game. They run the convention twice yearly now, August and January. It is basically a social gathering at a Holiday Inn in uh, Maidenhead. And basically, you turn up and play games. That's pretty much the deal. There's one retailer, a small bring and buy, some play testers, a couple of demoers. But other than that, it's pretty much, here's some rooms, play some games. Nice and simple. And to be fair, we can have no shortage of those sort of conventions. We've already got things like UK Games Expo for like the big exhibitor stuff. You know, Aircon is kind of a mix of both. It's nice to just have some, you know, kind of, you know what, just turn up and play games style conventions. Because they are a nice break from the norm. 
Now, the only thing with this one game-wise is that they've got a pretty good library there, although a lot of the big stuff is usually taken out at that time. People will bring their own games, but there is definitely an emphasis on heavy Euros. Now, this is not intentional, but this is what I've noticed throughout the whole like convention in recent years. You get some people playing some simple games. I mean, some people have their spouses with them or husbands with them and, you know, with kids sometimes, you know, they're going to play the simpler stuff, but... For the most part, certainly when I scout around, I see a lot of medium to heavyweight Euros. You know, the stuff that takes quite a while. And that's normal. We like to play those sort of games at conventions because that's when we've got the time for them. And it's not just Euro. You know, you've got Twilight Imperium 4 and all the various, you know, Amerifrash lengthy games. But I would like to see maybe more smaller titles played. I mean, it is kind of a bit jarring on the mind when you've just played this three-hour game and then you get stuck into another three-hour game and then another three-hour game. It's like... I've only really played three games today and it's nearly done. Oh, good. It doesn't feel as good as, you know, trying to get through a lot of different games. But that's a personal nitpick. Not everyone's like that. So the convention itself ran pretty smoothly. No issues, really. No issues with organization. Just the hotel key busting every now and again, which was annoying. But, uh, you know, that's Holiday Inn's typical lack of quality when it comes to their accommodation. But, uh, you know, nothing against the con for that one. The whole thing ran pretty smooth. Um, you know, I like going to HandyCon twice a year, so it's it's tiring, you know, particularly for them working on it, but it's tiring even just to go there for three, ga three days and do nothing but games while trying to find some time to get some decent food. Luckily, Toby Carvery saved me on Saturday night where I could at least get a decent roast meal. Although the wine bottle that I had during that meal and the wine bottle I had after I got back while playing Vindication, more on that later... Yeah, that was a different story, but, you know, it's all good fun. The convention's great, honestly. If you just want to turn up and play games, particularly the longer stuff, I recommend in the UK going to HandyCon at least once a year, if not both, just to dip your toes in and get a feel for it. You know, it's in Maidenhead, it's local to me, sort of. It's about an hour and a half journey, which is certainly closer than most other conventions I end up in, believe me. So I'll take a closer distance for that. So what did I actually get up to while I was there? Well, play games, obviously, but I want to talk about some in particular, just briefly. I don't want to go into too much detail, you know, otherwise I'll be here all day. But there were certainly some hotness games that I, you know, got stuck into and certainly a few that I really liked. You know, not necessarily new hotness, but just some games in general. So we'll start off very quickly with Motenai, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's basically from Karl Shudek and, uh, is that how you pronounce his name either? But from Asmadi Games. It's kind of like a twist on a Glory to Rome or effectively a weird reprint of it anyway, never played the original, but this is very much in that kind of innovation style of game. Innovation is one of my favorite games of all time. It is this great little card combo shenanigans deal. Well, this is kind of the same thing. You are collecting these cards, which are basically weird crafted items, and each one can be either a crafted item or just the mineral, metal, or cloth, or paper, and you're effectively just doing what you expect, combo shenanigans with cards. It's not the most intuitive game in the world, and the rulebook is a bit of a dog, you know, dog's ear, pig's ear, whatever, but it's a solid game when I got into it. You know, we tried it free player at first, and, you know, my friend's um, wife had to sort of go to bed, and, you know, it was getting a bit too much for her to concentrate on it all, because, like I say, it's not very intuitive how you're supposed to play it or what you're supposed to do, but when the two of us did it, you know, where he was more familiar with the rules and I was a quick learner, it's like... Ooh, that first game was interesting. Okay, right, let's try it again. We played four games in a row. This is a great two-player game. It just 
scratches that itch for me of like, I want just card shenanigans. No like stupidly complex rules, just give me a set of cards with cool abilities on each card and multiple uses and let me go with it. And I just had a blast, you know, I think we were about 50-50 on the wins. It's not as good as Innovation by far, but it's still a solid game and I would certainly look forward to playing it again in a two-player setting. You know, multi-use cards are just something I really like in games. Now, what else? Let's see, uh, Gentes. Gentes is a Euro that's been hitting a lot of buzz lately with uh, the sort of dry Euro players. It's certainly a dry game. It is supposed to be a civilization building game, but frankly, you are putting cards out in a row in front of you, and that's about it. It really is not a particularly thematic game in the slightest. Effectively, it's a sort of medium, yeah, medium at best weight Euro, although I'd argue it's fairly light actually, but nah, it's probably a medium weight Euro. And what you're doing is, it's not quite worker placement, you're basically taking these tiles, these action tiles off the board to do various things. Each one has not only a cost in money, but possibly a cost in time, and you have a track for keeping tabs on how many actions you have time for in each particular era, as it's called. You're supposed to be like going through several epochs, but really you don't really get any sense of progression in this game, other than the fact that the cards level from one to two to three. That's kind of it. <laughs> you know, it's very, very dry. But you're taking these tiles, doing the actions, and the idea is, is that you're trying to play these cards out in front of you. The more you can play with the same symbol will get you more points, but mainly these have requirements to play them which involve you leveling up these little tracks with characters like a noble, a priest, a warrior, and in doing so, you can play these cards. They might give you victory points, special abilities, and stuff like that. And you just basically do this over six rounds, and at the end you total up the most victory points with a bit of endgame scoring. It's alright, but I said it was dry, it certainly is. It has no theme. There is no theme in this game whatsoever. I mean, you are building these buildings, and some like say, alright, I need two nobles, one priest, uh, one builder, and a potter for that one. Why? No, no reason, no whatever, it's just basically combinations of characters. It's generic as old get out. Uh, the, you know, the mechanics of it, you are just basically every game getting the same cards with no variety, you will see every single card in the game, and the only progression in this game is that you have a little bit of extra space to do your actions, and the cards level up in value. That's it. That's all it is. They get higher in points, but higher in requirements. Whoopee. It's pretty generic. Now that's not to say the game is bad. It flows very smoothly. The turns are reasonably quick. Uh, but, other than the... F it's, it's kind of like, I'll play it. I give it about a six. I'll play it, and it's fine. But already after two plays, I'm kind of getting bored of it. And I think it's just going to get too samey. You just get no replay value out of this. You know, you'll see everything in the game. And one aspect of the game has you building buildings on these spots on a map in order to gain little bonuses. They're a complete waste of time. You can barely get any points through them unless you manage to munchkin free in particular, but nobody in their right mind is going to let you do that. And even then, you might be on the munchkin nap from day one, but it's not going to be anywhere near as good as simply playing the right cards in the right order. And the rest of the buildings get you a bit of money, or these cubes that add a little bit of flexibility to your whole character thing. But again, they're just not worth going mad on because they just take so much time out of your track as well as cost money. It's not worth it. 
Now, I mean, you know, when you take that big chunk out of the game, it's not that you shouldn't have any buildings, but you might get one or two and just leave it at that. I had a game where I won by tiebreaker when I had all six, but the stars aligned with me for that game. I got all three money-making buildings first and then got all the three point generation buildings first. That should never happen in a four-player game. But we had two new players and one other who was doing his own thing. You know, so like I said, stars aligned with me. Any other game, that would never happen and that strategy would never work. And even then, I won by tiebreaker alone. The other player was just doing cards as normal and probably should have deserved the victory, to be perfectly frank. You know, the game is okay. It's very well produced. Not a fan of the artwork, but that's a personal nitpick style. But the component quality in this is really, really good for a Euro. Even has, like, folded space inserts in it. So, you know, fair play. Applause. But... It's just so samey, so generic. I'm already bored with it. If they say they'll, if they say they want to play it, I might play it. But I just think I'm bored with it. It, it's had its two plays. It's entertained me a little bit. I'm done. I just think this one's going to fall by the wayside, and I can't see why you would play this over a lot of other euros, even the generic medium weight ones. I mean, I can look behind me and see Newton on the shelf. Haven't played that in a while because again, it's very dry and eurory, but. I'd rather play Newton than Gentis, definitely. The mechanics are more interesting, the variety's there. It's it's just got more over it. So Gentis, kind of average. Next up, oh boy, this is getting the hype and the buzz, Pipeline. Yes, everybody's going nuts over this game that I barely even knew existed before. And why did I barely know it existed? Well, because it's an economic game and that's not exactly the genre I look forward to. But I thought, okay, try any game once. Gotta see what it's like, you know, see if it's well deserving of the buzz. Maybe this will shock me because there are some economic games I do like. But let's give it a go. Played it. It's okay. That's pretty much all I can say about it. It is like every other economic game you have ever played. Buy a bunch of X. Do stuff with X. Sell X for money. Make most money wins. That's literally it. You build this little map thing in front of you of pipes from various tiles. That quickly loses its appeal, you know, at first. I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to build this funky little network. But then you kind of realize that all you're basically doing is building three different color pipes with multiple links and occasionally putting machines on them. But that's about it. And your links aren't going to look that much different from other players other than one of you might have a really long one and one of you might have a bunch of short ones. That's pretty much the only differentiation there is. The rest of the game is about as bare bones economic as you can get. Buy stuff, Mate, do stuff with it, you know, it's basically oil. You buy oil at raw level, then you upgrade it to various grades of oil via, you know, running it through your pipes, and then you sell it for more money. Complete contracts. Contracts require certain types of oil. Orders in the market require certain type of oils. There's some endgame scoring, and there you go. Really, it's just basically another economic euro. There's nothing about this that stands out, unless people really latch onto the pipe building thing, but that's gonna get old quite quick. And it has a very bad crescendo effect of time. It starts off with three, three sort of eras, and they get shorter as you go along, because there's more you can do in each era. Now the first era, I was actually getting into the game, and I thought, oh, this is quite cool, I've got the map here, got a little bit of oil, you know, level this up, this is not too complicated, it's pretty straightforward. You know, make sort of a bit slower to explain it, but you know, it was, it's like, oh yeah, I could teach this easily enough. Then the middle uh, era got a bit longer. 
<laughs> I've been a bit, a, a lot longer. Turns were taking longer, people had more to do on their turns, people were APing, not too much, but, you know, there's a bit to think about, you know, you got to plan ahead. And so, that was starting to grind a bit, and I thought, uh-oh, if this is what the second year is like, what's the third year going to be like? And lo and behold, game doesn't really feel any different, you just have uh, more pipes and some more cubes, I mean, you just buy, you just get cubes, turn cubes into cubes, and then sell cubes. That's literally what you do the entire game. The progression is just simply how much money you make with the various oils. And in the third year, it just grinds to a crawl. I, God, the turns take forever. You know, as people are going, well, I'll do this action, and then I can pay this money to do the secondary action, and then I'll activate my machines, which means I run this through this pipe, that upgrades to that, which upgrades to that. I'll also run that machine, which also runs that. Now it's like, I get on with it. Ah, oh, it grinded so badly you could hear the gears turning in the board game. Now, the game was okay. I actually won it in the end. I mean, I won it by a reasonable margin. But it's another economic game. It's just nothing new. And that is another problem with Gentis. The, well, I don't know, Gentis. No, I've seen those mechanics before. There's nothing particularly new with that one either. It's just, it's a very generic economic game. You know, well, you're buying oil and selling oil at different prices. I mean, can any economic game have a theme that's interesting? And really, the theme is kind of non-existent here anyway. The only thing that has even a smittering theme of what you're doing is the fact that you have pipes and oil can be carried in pipes. That's literally it. There is blue oil, there is grey oil, and there is orange oil. What's the difference? Slightly different prices on the board. That is it. Doesn't even tell you what type of oil it is. It's just Oil. Hey, these economic games really need to innovate more if they're going to grab my interest. And yet, people are lauding over this one. You know, some people have played it and gone, eh, it's all right. Other people have played it and gone, oh, yeah, I love it. They've got to be either economic game fans or cult of the new. Because seriously, this game is no different from any other economic game. It's not even that great to look at on the board. It's pretty stark. It's kind of like how smartphone looks. And frankly, I think smartphone looks a little better. I don't know. But you know, that, the map building thing just quickly got boring, you know, as I'm like, yeah, I've already added to this pipe, you know, I'm kind of done with it now. And in three hours as the game, you know, the game's meant to be a shortish game, but it can still take a good two to three hours with teaching. And I think it was getting close to two and a half to three hours by the time we finished. And it's just like, oh boy, yeah, you know, it's like, I was kind of done with it. I mean, if I don't get to play this game, I'm not going to mind. I'd give this a five. It's okay. It's not bad, but it's just painfully average. Now, I believe there's only two games that I've played after this that were new. The rest of them I'd already played. I mean, I'm not going to explain about games that I played that I already knew how to play. I mean, I played Empires of the Void 2. Absolutely fantastic game. Love it, love it, love it. Played Dominion. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, we played um, Feast of Odin with the Norwegians expansion. Again, love it. You know, there were a lot of good games I played, which were ones we'd already know how to play. But, of course, I'm talking about new ones. So I've got two more. We'll do one more bad one, and then we'll get onto a good one. And the bad one is Thieves Den. I believe this was a Kickstarter done by, I forget who does it, but it's the same company who did the uh, Quest of Valeria and Houses of Valeria and who gives a monkeys of Valeria or whatever. It's the same people who did that, same artwork, a lot. This was described to me as a kind of Lords of Waterdeep, you know, but simpler. You know, this like this will kill Lords of Waterdeep because it's pretty much the same feel, but it's better art and all that. 
No, it isn't. <laughs> it is not Lords of Waterdeep Killer. It is nothing like Lords of Waterdeep. It is a really simplistic card drafting worker placement game where basically you're all a bunch of thieves and you draft these locations each round. And the idea is, is that the locations give you resources for putting a worker on them. Pretty much generic stuff. The idea also is that you're collecting certain sets of locations in front of you to match pairs of symbols for victory points. We'll get onto a problem with that later. But then once you've drafted a few locations and revealed them, you then take it in turns to put workers out and you know you can stitch up people by going to their own locations and getting resources. They only get a titular owner bonus. There's a bunch of these characters that you're basically just doing the splendor thing of, I have these resources, fine, I'll cash them in and take that fence, that's worth that many points. And you do this for, I think, three rounds and then the game ends. You know, and there is a little bit of worker placement. Like I say, you put the guys on the locations and the board has about two little locations that most people don't go to and three special action tile locations that change each round. They're interesting, they're a bit of a variety, but for the most part, the three rounds play exactly like each other. Now, it's not particularly exciting because literally you're just drafting a few cards and then the same thing happens each round. Put workers out, get some generic resources. There's five types. Literally, the only thing that distinguishes them is the fact that some are rarer than others. Other than that, they're just generic resources to fit the theme. And the other problem is that this game is a little bit little unbalanced when it comes to its turn order thing. Firstly, you are, well, with the card thing, you are drafting these cards and trying to get pairs of symbols for points. It's, you only get three of these, and you may just happen to never see the symbol that you're after in the draft. Somebody might have nicked it before you. You might be going after someone who's collecting that symbol. Well, good luck trying to get any yourself. So turn order and blind luck screw you out of quite a good chunk of victory points at the end. I mean, I needed a pair of symbols. I found one in quantity, but the other one I never saw because it just never turned up on my side of the table or the person next to me who conveniently needed the same symbol never let me have any. So what am I supposed to do about that? I can't control it. But also the turn order selection doesn't help the game because what it does is that it allows the person who is in last place to go first with the draft. Well, no, the draft is simultaneous, but with the um, worker placement thing. Now, that's okay. However, there's a flaw if you think about it. It rewards the person in last place. It doesn't then punish the person in the lead because that person could be on the other side of the table and not care. The person in the lead might still be in second place for turn order. And when you've only got so many locations on the board, turn order is so key, it's ridiculous. Because all the good spots will be gone by the time it gets to your turn if you're in last place. It's not balanced. And I found I was going last a lot and I wasn't in the lead. I was like second to last and I'm still going in last place. So I'm getting doubly screwed. And because the guy who kept going first because he was always at the back wanted the same symbol as me for the drafting, it meant that I never saw the symbol because he just nicked all. So what am I supposed to do? I have no way of getting out of it. It, I think I came second in the end. I, I don't think I won. I think I came second, but I just, this is not a Lords of Waterdeep killer by far. It's just a small game that probably takes one round longer than it should and has some okay artwork, but is fairly boring. I, I give this one a max four. It's just, it, the, the design is not balanced enough. The mechanics are not interesting enough. I mean, I like drafting fine, but you literally just take three generic location cards, put them down, and then just do a little worker placement thing. It's, 
Not thematic, really. It's just generic. Looks nice on the table artwork-wise, but if you kickstarted this, you might want to ask for your money back. But let's talk about a good game, because I wasn't just playing bad games at the convention. Although I must admit, when I got back from the convention, as I was driving home, I sort of thought, I did enjoy myself, but why does it sort of feel a little bit sour? And there was like a sour aftertaste. And a lot of it was just the games. The games that I played that I knew were already good were like fantastic. And I was having so much fun with those. But it does sour you a bit when you play a bunch of games that you think, oh yeah, I'm going to try these new games. And none of them turn out to be great hits. And there was another one, uh, Terraforming Mars. We, I played a game of that and I thought, oh, this is the way I like to play Terraform Mars. We've got Prelude, Colonies, there's three of us and we all know what we're doing. Great, this will be a quick game. Oh, no, it won't be because Terraforming Mars is never a quick game, is it? Ay, ay, ay. This was like an hour per player. And it wasn't because we were APing. No, we were actually going at the normal pace the game allows. Do you know why it took so long? Because the guy who taught us did not use the plus one parameter rule in the variance section. The one that says that when you have two expansions or more, you should up one of the temperature, ocean, or you know oxygen parameters every generation and not get the bonus for it. It speeds up the game dramatically and it is in my opinion, essential even if you're not using expansions because then it keeps the game length at a good pace. If you have only Prelude and use that, you know, that variant rule, even better. It like creates my dream version of Terraforming Mars. We didn't use it and we had Colonies, which adds more time to the game. More than Prelude shaves off it, to be honest. It took three plus hours to get this game done and I was getting bored by the end. It started off alright, despite the fact that luck was not in my favour with the cards, but it was fine for the first half, but then it's like, we should have been done within 90 minutes to two hours, you know, I know a free player game can end in that time, why weren't we using the variant rule? And it just, ah, oh, it dragged on and on and on, and then complete luck of the draw gave the person the victory. Literally, luck of the draw. Oh look, cards that give me a million points for all the Jovian tags I've got. Oh well, that's good. Last round. Stole the victory because of that. Not luck of the draw, Terraforming Mars? You know, you know, despite the drafting? Yeah, I beg to differ. Anyway, sidetracked. You know, let's talk about a game that's fun though. Let's talk about the highlight of the new games. Vindication. This is a new game that I have kickstarted but, you know, not received. This was taught to me by a group of very funny people there. And this was definitely a highlight of the convention, other than me playing Empires of the Void 2. You know, and this was a five-player game where we were mostly learning. I mean, two of them had played it before, but were still reconciling rules. But I got to see the whole base set kickstarted in action. My god, this is well-produced. It has got game trays, it's got great components. Yes, it has cubes and that in places, but it looks colorful on the board. It just pops on the table. This is a very good Kickstarter for production quality. But Vindication's kind of a, a fairly straightforward Euro game, but with some, not such, not thematic, but narrative. I kind of, it, it's kind of weird to describe. You're, you are a character. You are a wretched character. And you're exploring this map in various locations and there's attributes around the edge of the table such as like courage, strength, uh, wisdom and that. 
And what you're doing is that you have this like kind of little board in front of you, which is kind of like a little manipulation puzzle that you're trying to get your cubes out of certain spheres on your board onto the main board in the various attributes. You can combine them into different attributes. You can spend them to do various actions or hire companions. And these companions have got different names, really nice artwork and have special abilities. It's not purely thematic as such, but... You know, wisd you know, vision will get you things like relics and, uh, you know, the wisdom will get you traits and strength will get you, like, fighty companions and strength and inspiration combine into courage, which is all about fighting monsters. There are some thematic ties, but it's mostly a kind of puzzle exploration type Euro game. It's really hard to describe. But you can get into the theme with this by like, you know, you know, talking about what sort of characters you got, what kind of life you're leading, you know, whether you get vindicated or not in the end. And it's just a lot of smooth flowing mechanics, but it is very Euro-y. It's kind of, like I say, very difficult to describe, but it, it sung to me. I, we took far too long. You know, we were all learning, people were chatting. I was partially drunk on wine, I must admit. But, you know, I was still into the game. But, yeah, it did take a long time to finish and we were all tired. It was past morning hours. So, as I say, I'm not going to say it's amazing full stop based on one play in those kind of circumstances. I will certainly try and give this a review when I get the finished copy and actually play it properly in a proper setting. But, so far, I thought it wasn't difficult to grasp. I mean, it was harder for them to teach it because I don't think they knew every single rule themselves. But I reckon I could teach it like that, you know, literally nice and easy. So pretty solid, you know, smooth flowing, pops on the table, you know, certainly got the presence, got quick setup time because you just give people the game trays and set up some cards and that's about it. Different ways you can play it, different paths to victory you can take. Like I focused on monster killing. I could have easily just ignored that and gone for relics. I could have easily ignored that and just hired a bunch of companions to my side. There's a lot of ways you can play the game. I look forward to trying this in a more... I wasn't fully drunk, I was just tipsy. But, you know, I certainly want to try it in a more calm and co collected setting. But so far, I've got high hopes for Vindication when it comes out. Right, that's enough about Handicon and new games. Let's talk about the discussion topic. I basically put a question up, and this is something that I've seen with other games, but I've just noticed myself. Board game apps, they're great. Not all of them are great, obviously, but for the most part, they're really good. I mean, they do a great job of porting games into a digital format that you can play on Steam on your desktop or on Android or Apple products galore. Multiple ways to play, multiple ways, and not too expensive, although... Some apps can go a little bit pricey, but, you know, like I say, you pay for the time and effort that went into developing it. I have done solo playthroughs on some apps on Steam. I have apps on my tablet that I use when I go traveling or if I'm bored at lunchtime at work and that. And, you know, they are great fun. The question is, though, do they ever remove the need to, to resort to tabletop gaming? Will apps actually become you know, problematic in the future and that they'll start whittling away tabletop gamers because they'll just prefer the apps. There was a lot of feedback on this topic and certainly it was interesting to hear like everyone's debates, but there's definitely a few key themes that came out. So firstly, what games have got to a state where I refuse to play the tabletop game? 
You know, there are some apps that are just that good. It usually relates to the ones where the board game requires so much setup, so much teaching, and takes forever that an app basically sorts all that out for you. It's similar to why games like Journey into Middle-earth and Mansions of Madness 2.0 do so well, because the app handles all the admin and bookkeeping for you, and it means that the game flows smoothly. The best example I can think of was thinking to my top 10 board game apps video I did. You know, spoiler alert if you've not watched the video, but please watch it. Uh, you know, things like Through the Ages. Who plays the tabletop version of Through the Ages anymore? The app is just that good. It basically turns a game that takes like three hours and takes it down to about 30 minutes to 60 minutes taps, depending on how slow I'm playing or how many AI are in that picture. You're talking about an hour. It cuts it by two thirds. And then it takes out the bookkeeping with all the cube shuffling. It's nicely represented on the screen. It's easier to do. The turns are quicker. It just completely kills the need to play the tabletop game anymore. And, you know, that is not the only one. I mean, some people might argue that Sentinels in the Multiverse has an app that destroys the tabletop game. Well, I must admit, the app is brilliant and it certainly does take a lot of the admin out of it. But I still like the card game as well. I still like to play it every now and again part of the reason we'll get onto later but yeah i won't i won't argue that for some people it's rightly so that the sentinels the multiverse app kills the card game because it's just so smooth and so great and there's other ones as well but even ones that don't kill their original i mean jaipur is a great rendition uh, oniram people like oniram so much they don't play the card game anymore because you have to shuffle a million cards all the time so when the the app does the shuffling for you fantastic i mean that's always a good thing but there's just a lot of other good apps in general. Ticket to Ride, Splendor, Carcassonne, there's loads of cool apps. Star Realms. Star Realms another example. Who plays the card game version anymore? You have the app, and the app is so good. You know, and there's definitely some merit to this. You know, some apps have killed tabletop games, specifically certain titles for people. I don't think we're going to get to the state where it kills tabletop gaming like properly. It's never going to do that. And there are reasons I'll get onto. But certainly I would imagine that for certain titles, there's going to be some tabletop games which I think are just going to fade into the ether. You know, they'll still rank highly on Board Game Geek, but, you know, that'll be just like the, the fans who love it or the ones who still own it. But, you know, I've looked at Through the Ages and I thought, you know, I've warmed up to it more, you know. But that's, that's because of the app. I would never have warmed up to it that much if I was just playing the tabletop game. And I don't have a desire to buy the tabletop version because every time I even get close to thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, but the app I can play in an hour and it looks the same as Bear. It's just like, you know, it really does have that effect. Now, a counter argument to this is that people disagree that, you know, that apps are going to destroy board gaming or like, you know, really get in the way of it because the social interaction is something that we love about board gaming and that is certainly true you know we do not you know the one bad thing about apps is that for the most part you play them solo against ai occasionally you might play online with someone but even then you're just playing online with them it's just things moving on a screen not really talking to them unless there's some games where you can do it by voiceover i'm not entirely sure i've never tried but the the idea is, is that when you play the tabletop version, you're with your friends, or hopefully with good people, even if they're strangers. And so you're having a good time, you're talking, you're chatting, you're telling jokes, you're getting on well, and that social interaction is something that only tabletop gaming can provide. 
Yeah, some people can use Tabletopia and weird programs like that, which are fine. I mean, they're good, but, you know, it's not quite the same talking over a microphone as it is actually being in person with someone. I don't feel like I'm having the most social atmosphere on a voice-over D&D session as I am if I was sat around a table with those people playing D&D. Same principle here. But, yeah... Apps are never going to kill that experience for me, because that is one of the things I love about board gaming, the social interaction. Oh, I play a lot of solo games, but I also like a lot of the group games as well, and, you know, apps are not going to destroy my need for that. Now, granted, some games it kind of has, but go back to Sentinels and the Multiverse, um, you know, part of the reason I still play the card game is because it's great to play a co-op with other players. Yeah, solo mode is great, you know, I control these heroes and I get to do what I like, but... There's nothing better with Sentinels in the Multiverse than sitting down with three other players who are role-playing their heroes, getting into the game, you're discussing with each other what your plans are. Co-ops work so much better in tabletop form than they ever do in apps. Even if the app is superb, you're never going to beat that real-time experience. Now, another counter-argument, which I'll link back to Sentinels in the Multiverse, is the tactile nature of the game. It's one thing to be able to poke your finger on a screen on an app. It's another to basically handle a card in your hand, to hold metal coins, to hold components, to roll a die, not just press a button and have the screen roll the die for you. That's definitely one that gets me more than anything else, actually, I would say. Because, you know, people, for example, use an app called Chaos Bag for the Arkham Horror card game. I still like drawing those tokens out of a bag. I've got them in coin capsules. They feel great. And yes, I know it's so much easier to just point at the app and let it generate a thing for you. And I do use it occasionally if I'm in a rush. But it's nice to be able to just like fumble around in that bag and fill the coin capsules and pour out. It's, I don't know, it's just a good feeling. And dice, you know, if someone told me, oh, Seasons is coming out as an app. Yeah, I probably would buy it. And I probably would play it. But you think I'm going to give up those boulder-shaped dice, you know, those giant weather dice, just because the app is good? No, I'm going to try and get that tabletop game out to the table as much as possible, just so I can pick up those dice and chuck them in my hand and roll them because they're so nice. You know, it's never, never going to be like you know, a replacement for that. And that appeals to a lot of others as well. People just like the tactile nature of being able to handle something in front of them. It's usually a lot more interesting or just a bit more feedback-wise than pressing buttons on a screen. You know, I mean, would you rather be playing a, a paintball game on a PC or would you rather be playing the paintball game in real life when you're the one with the gun and you're the one in those bushes, you know, trying to snipe people out? There's a huge difference between a computer simulation and real life encounters. It, it, it kind of works in that sense. Now, it's certainly not to say that apps do not have their place. I mean, by God, I love a lot of these board game apps. And some of it is just down to portability. You know, I'm going to go traveling to Tabletop Scotland, you know, like I said, in two weeks. I'm only going to be on the plane for about an hour. I need something to do when I'm on that plane. I need to play a game for an hour. I could probably just play one game of Through the Ages, but I could play Splendor for a bit, several games of Star Realms. You know, I have done that many a time. And, you know, people are sort of saying, well, you know, I'd love to see you at Dice Tower Con. I would love to go to Dice Tower Con, or Dice Tower East, whatever they've called it now, but I need to be able to entertain myself not only for a week in Orlando, 
you know, not just the com, I need to be able to afford the flight, especially when it's in July, which is like the most expensive time to fly. I need to be able to survive the heat in Orlando, which is always a problem. So you need to keep me in air conditioned environments on a regular basis. But also, I need to entertain myself on a nine hour flight. It's gonna take a long time. If it wasn't for board game apps, I would go insane. In-flight movies are not enough, especially when you're crammed in like sardines on these things. You know, I'm, I don't mind flying, but oh God, putting up with airports and having to be crammed in when I'm a tall person, a tall fat person, it's a bit of a pain. But board game apps save the day. And you know, you might wanna go traveling like camping somewhere and you wanna take a lunch of games with you. Well, good luck carrying all those boxes to your tent and storing them in there. It'd be great that, you know, I want to take Ticket to Ride with us. Well, you can take the giant box of Ticket to Ride with you, or you could just take the tablet and pass and play Ticket to Ride. Yes, it's not quite the same, but you've got a bit of social interaction, and at least you don't have to carry the giant box of pieces with you and try and find a way to set it out on your camping table. You know, you can just use the tablet, and it works great, both in journey and while you're there. Now, of course, our app's going to be bad for the hobby from an economic point of view, I would say no, not really, although it depends on your perspective. Firstly, you've got to accept that if you port a game onto a digital format, yes, a company is getting money because they made the app, but of course, the people who designed the game and published the game originally are getting commission income from it, or their royalties, or something. I don't know what exactly it will be, but you know, obviously, you can't just rip a game off and use it as your own idea. You know, if they've made an app, they've got to give you some money for it. So every time an app sells, the publisher is getting money for that as well. So you are still funding the publisher and, you know, rewarding the designer for their work. Certainly it's going to cut down on sales of the board game itself. Where does Through the Ages ever get sold anymore? You know, I see it being sold a lot on secondhand sales or clearance sales, and that's because nobody wants to buy the board game when the app exists. It pretty much killed its stone dead. Anirim never gets seen, you know, for sale anymore. Granted, it's slightly out of print, but there's no need to bring it back into print, because frankly, people just have the app that they bought for like 99p or whatever it was. You know, why would you ever need the board game itself? And a lot of other board games will have suffered because, well, not suffered, but not have sold as well in physical format because the app will have done a better job for a lot of people. The app doesn't cost as much to buy as the board game does, you know, because you're not buying physical components. You know, does that mean that, you know, I mean, if the same amount of people buy the app rather than the board game, does that mean the publisher is losing out on money as a result? Hard to say. I would argue that more people will buy the app compared to the number of people that would buy the tabletop version, so it kind of evens out. But, you know, certainly it's going to have an impact, and there are many games out there where it has had a dramatic impact on sales of the actual title. But for me, to summarise, it essentially boils down to this. Apps are fantastic. I love seeing them integrated into board games, you know, where you've got a hybrid of the app and the tabletop version. I want to see more of that. But in terms of a proper board game port, they are great. I mean, they started off okay. They are like improving greatly as time goes on and we're getting some beautiful, gorgeous, well-designed apps. But yes, they are going to hurt tabletop sales in some respect, but not enough to cause damage to the industry really because you're making money by app sales rather than tabletop sales. It will all pan out in the end. 
It also can introduce more people to the hobby because people will not necessarily want to spend hours playing this tabletop game that they've never seen before, especially when you could just say, well, try this app. I mean, look, you can download it, cost you two quid, play a game of it and see what you think. They go away, they put it on their phone, they play it, they enjoy it, and then they're like, hmm, what else have you got? It's a good way to get new people in, you know, and much easier way, particularly in a day and age where technology is kind of everything, really. On top of that, yes, some apps have replaced tabletop games specifically for me, and it certainly will have for many other people. Um, I didn't mention Ascension, it's not a game I play, but that's another one that cropped up a lot when I mentioned this topic. You know, I think that app has killed the card game Stone Dead. But I don't think it's going to, you know, the main things though, tactile feedback and certainly the social interaction are the two main reasons why nobody has to fear that apps are going to kill the board games off. Because you won't be able to make an app for every game anyway. And those two reasons kind of say it all. We like tactile feedback. We like to hold dice and realistic resources and components and the wooden plastic pieces and miniatures in our hands. We like to manipulate stuff. You know, We're just fidgety people. But on top of that, the reason I got into board games in the first place. Social interaction. I wanted to join a club where I could meet new people and be so more social than I was at the time because I was living alone and still am. But, you know, the social interaction basically drew me in as well as the games being really good. That first seven-player game of Seven Wonders I was shown, which I won with the expansion, having never played it before. <laughs> I'm still proud of that one, but it, it, it opened my eyes to what this hobby is like and what everybody else is like when they play it. Apps are never going to break through that. Even if, you know, you could still get me to sit down and play Star Realms and Fruity Ages and, you know, Sentinels and Multiverse easily with the tactile version because I know I'm playing with decent people, or at least hopefully in the case of strangers. But, you know, I'm playing with people and I'm interacting. That alone is probably the sole reason, you know, forgetting even tactile feedback, which is still a really good reason, just fall back on social interaction. You know, apps are great. I love them, and at times, they are certainly more convenient than using a tabletop game. But in terms of replacing the industry, never. Because we're all gamers, we like to meet each other. That's kind of the point, really, of board gaming. So that's it for me. I'm going to edit this one tomorrow on Tuesday. I haven't got time to do it now because I really need to get some early nights this week because I'm still suffering fatigue syndrome from, you know, Handicon and just lots of late nights. And I've noticed while I've been at work that I have just been yawning. Coffee has had no effect on me. It is clear that my body is crying out for sleep. So I'm going to sign off this podcast and go to bed. Maybe I'll read a bit of my Arkham Horror short book because frankly... That book has been staring at me on the shelf and I really have not got through even a third of it yet. And yet I'm doing Arkham Horror the LCG and all that. So I think maybe I'll read up on... Um, who did I just finish a campaign with? Diana Stanley? Maybe I should read her backstory. You know, it's... I bought the book. I might as well read the wretched thing. It's just haunting me on that shelf saying, Luke, read me. Why do you ignore me so much? Either that or it's the fatigue talking. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to sign off. So take care. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. I will get the next one out 
much sooner than this one was, you know, not a month later. I will try and get it out shortly after Tabletop Scotland so I can talk about my experiences there, having never been to Tabletop Scotland. So I'm really looking forward to this one. I hope it's as good as they said it was from last year. I hear it's gotten even bigger. They've had more people, doubled the tickets. So I'm really keen to find out what Tabletop Scotland is like. Not to mention, it's going to be cool to visit Scotland again because Scotland's a cool country. I like it there. Very scenic. And, you know, I want to, there's other places I really want to visit in Scotland, you know, like the Highlands area. But uh, sadly, I won't be doing that on this trip. But like I say, I like Scotland. So I'll see some of you at Tabletop Scotland. If you're in the UK, hopefully, you know, come and say hi. Some people said some hi to me at the HandyCon convention. You know, not that many because, like I say, I'm only small fish. But, you know, those of you that did come up and just say, you know, thanks for what you're doing or shake my hand in that. Honestly, it meant a lot to me to hear you guys say that. So honestly, don't be afraid to approach me at a convention. I'm just a guy who talks about board games. I'm not a celebrity or anything, but it means the world to me to hear that some of you listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube videos and get a kick out of it. Whether it's my rants, my reviews, my solo plays, my top tens, my opinion, my passion, whatever. You've all had your reasons. As long as you enjoy it, that's great. That's totally fine by me. So take care. See you next time. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Good night. Thank you all for listening to my content, and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top tens, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future, as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.